This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Hello, hello, hello. How is everyone doing today? I know you can't respond to me, but I always start that episode with that because I like to think I'm a polite person. So how is everybody doing today? I am doing okay. I think the world is generally doing okay, I would say, in the grand scheme of things. And um, happy COVID-versary, everybody. So uh, the coronavirus is officially, are the world's uh, demonic baby child, is officially one years old sometime Roughly around this week, and so it's um it's been very interesting. This last year, I think, has been, I think, should be considered the greatest social experiment without war that has happened in a very very long time. I, I mean, th this this last year has been nothing short of absolutely bizarre, and I, I think that it, it's it's very very interesting to see how people have reacted to it, how you know different types of individuals have been, you know, exposed to this and kind of, you know, wanting to, you know, conform to it or not conform to it or do or do, you know, what the hell ever they want to do. But I, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's just a very interesting way to view human nature and our capacity for different things. And, you know, we've seen obviously other things happen in the last year that have not necessarily been the or have been caused rather by the coronavirus, but have been, I would say, amplified by the coronavirus. And such as, you know, the, the George Floyd murder, all the racial justice protests and the riots that have happened from that, uh, the Capitol building, uh, the election, you know, all the all this other stuff that has happened, social school closures, um, suicides going up, mental health hitting an all-time high in many respects, from, you know, drug overdoses to I think, you know, 40 or either 40 or 60% of Americans can like had a serious or considered a serious suicidal episode, which is an abhorrent metric by all means necessary. And so this has caused, and, and I think a year ago, you know, I remember, you know, talking with some of my friends and my coworkers and colleagues in school about this, you know, we thought this was going to be like a two month deal. You know, it was just going to be over in a couple, you know, in a couple weeks and we'd get, you know, it'd pass like the flu and it'd be gone. And I th I think we thought that for a long time. We thought that for probably about two months. They're like, okay, we're going to shut down college campuses. We're going to send the kids home from school and it'll be over by June. And that didn't happen. And, you know, everything kind of got worse. The societal decay got, you know, more 
amplified and the curtain got lifted on a lot of shit that I don't think we really understood, nor do I think we still understand it. And it, it's kind of unearthed. It's been the great unveiling, I think, is what the, la the legacy of COVID will leave about the quality of our leadership, the quality of our institutions, the quality of our people. Just everything that has happened, I think, in the last year-ish, and I, I think I wrote this, I, I wrote the first um, the first part of this, um, I remember it was right after Survivor on Wednesday, because, you know, it was on, um, it was on, I think, it was on CBS, because Survivor's on CBS, and uh, Nora, Nora O'Donnell's uh, news program came on right after Survivor, and then they said, you know, the, the president is making an address on TV, like all the TVs got blanked out because of this and that was when President Trump uh, closed the international flights and he closed all travel internationally because of the uh, the coronavirus. And it was a, that was when I, I collectively went like, oh shit, like this is, this is a, a legit issue type of thing. And I remember, you know, being incredibly, you know, confused on it. And so I think I'm doing this for more of a personal social experiment as well, just because um, I want to see where we've come from. And, and I, the main thing I was concerned with this and still am concerned with this, and I think I've been rightly justified in this actually, is just the overall legacy of what COVID will mean for us as people and what it will mean for us and for our rights and for all these other things that have you know, come about that we really didn't see coming and I thought that might happen, might not happen, but have unfortunately, I think, come true in a lot of circumstances. So I'm going to be reading this post, which I penned in about literally on this, I think, you know, so I'm recording this on Wednesday, March 10th. It will be March 15th, I believe on Monday. So this will be two days from next Monday will be the one year anniversary of me creating this post. So almost a year later, I've almost never looked at it. But it remains my most popular post, I think, from a lot of people. I think it got circled around a bunch of local editors for newspapers back at home in Cleveland, and people were you know, sharing it and commenting on it, and they all thought it was really good. And I really didn't expect it to be that good, but maybe it was just something alternative to think about other than, oh, wow, horrible disease from overseas coming, killing old people, that, um, that sort of thing. So I'm, forgive me if any inaccuracies or anything, but I'm going to try to read it as written and just kind of do a little live action social experiment here. So, so here we go. So I'm guessing you've heard the news by now. There's this virus going on that's basically the 2020 re-up of the Black Plague. It's spreading through countries in complete un unabashed fashion, killing millions and setting fire to all civilized society. Well, at least not yet, and that turned out to be quite correct, actually. <coughs> The coronavirus is perhaps the biggest crisis our world has faced since the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009. It ended the biggest bull market in the, stock, in the history of the stock market. It has sent seemingly endless panic throughout society. It's incredibly contagious and is spreading like wildfire through countries that either don't have the infrastructure to take it or didn't have the prudence to combat it as early as they should have. Or, wild thought here, it's not. Maybe the stock market was riding all-time highs for so long that a correction was necessary for them to keep in check. Maybe no country could have avoided this if they tried. Maybe the panic is irrational. I mean, hell, I just got the update on Twitter with the headline, Iran mass coronavirus burial pits are visible by satellite. Not really the fire hose of damp in the burning house of fear we were hoping for. On Wednesday night, when the president made his address to the nation restricting travel to most of Europe, as well as taking other measures to take on the holistic efforts of the virus, I was stunned. Maybe I was the only one who didn't take it seriously enough. So I did the worst thing one could possibly do when they want to seek more information. 
I turned on cable news. Now, I've unfollowed in mass most people in politics and the news media in search of more objective and un unbiased sources of information, but I'm sad to say I caved into the panic mob and proceeded to, well, get more panicked. And it wasn't for the reason that one might think, but I'll get to that in a minute. I, like most, I think, believe that the coronavirus will pass in time. It is believed to just be another strain of influenza, of which many more people have been affected and many more people have died worldwide than the coronavirus. We have the best medical professionals in the world and an economy that most believe can weather the absolute shellacking it's taking right now. A vaccine will most likely be developed within the year and is strongly believed to fluctuate with the weather, much like its parent disease. Again, I am quoting this as written, so obviously not all of that was true, although I actually, I'm, I'm actually proud that I got the vaccine one right. But anyways, yet we still have panic. Why is that? I'll enlighten you. Did you notice a common theme to that paragraph? Well, I use the word quote-unquote believe a lot. The problem with that word is in the definition. According to the dictionary, the definition to the word believe is to be considered or to consider rather to be true or honest. And basically we don't know if any of those things are true. Again, we do know now, but anyways. It's ambiguous. We don't know if they're accurate or not. This could, they could be dead wrong for all we know. Human beings hate ambu ambiguity. We like to know things. When we don't know things, we begin to fear them. When we get hit with so many things at once, we feel like we're drinking out of a fire hose. We begin to panic. Things like the Great Recession, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and 2006-7 Britney Spears are great examples of this. But if the disease is apparently nothing to be afraid of, do we really fear it? Or do we fear something else? I think it's the latter. Obviously, we should you know, probably be a little bit petrified, or not petrified, but a little bit concerned of the coronavirus. But first, let me get back to the escapade with cable news. Fox News anchor Laura Ingram was drinking out of said fire hose for the first half hour of her show because the world had just gotten hit with the bombs of the NBA and Tom Hanks' Rita Wilson news. However, about a half an hour into the program, she opened up with her initial segment. What she said blew my mind for such obvious reasons that it escaped me during the mass hysteria of the past hour. Ingram's segment was called, Contain the Virus, But Protect Our Freedom. While acknowledging the seriousness of the virus, she did something that I didn't think anyone had the balls to do or ovaries to do on national television. She compared it to 9-11. And my first initial reaction, like most, was whoa, 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 big no-no, uh-uh, no can do, all that other stuff. 9-11's off limits. But then I set aside my perceived outrage, and another wild thing here, actually listened to what she was saying. She immediately clarified that she was not comparing the coronavirus and 9-11 in terms of the act or devastation or horror, but in our response to the act, devastation, and horror. She referenced the Patriot Act, which was the bill signed by Congress in the United States' biggest anti-terrorism response in history. She described how, in an act of emotional overcompensation, most Americans were in favor of invading Iraq, Afghanistan and Iraq. But then, like most policies, the Patriot Act got abused, bloated, and manipulated. What resulted after was a spree of warmongering that left the Middle East in further shambles than it had been, amplified government spending, and, most importantly, did inexplicable harm to thousands of American men and women and their families in the form of death, injury, and post-traumatic stress disorder, among other things. The American people, being blinded by the anger and fear of 9-11, didn't see the long-term effects that this would have. We're still heavily involved in the Middle East today. We are still feeling the effects. And as heartbreaking as it was for those warriors and families, most of them will feel that pain for the rest of their lives, unfortunately. In order to navigate this pandemic, we must not succumb to the ease of the short term in order to protect ourselves from the long term. 
We need to create an environment where we can come together and run towards the light at the end of the tunnel, instead of merely being scared of the darkness that lies in the tunnel itself. We must pre prevent the world from stopping. Life must go on. This is not an article on public health. I know far too little about it to masquerade as an expert. I wouldn't even come close. This is an article about what happens to human nature when you don't clean the shit off the walls properly after it's gone through the fan. About why we should be very careful about not, losing, just, not just losing our heads, but about what can happen if we get too far ahead of ourselves. This is not meant to be dark and scary, but we need to see the possibilities and we need to see the bigger picture. So let's explore some of those bigger pictures and try to use them constructively. To be fair, the idea for this article was inspired by Laura Ingram and the incredible job she did on the segment. Again, not being partisan, I thought she was very accurate in a lot of things she said. I'm simply going to take the base of her general idea and expand upon it, to show you why we should be focused on the long game and not the short game. And I'll start with the fancy piece of paper called the United States Constitution. And I'm a big United States Constitution guy, it's, it, it's fucking awesome. It gives us our rights as citizens and has been amended numerous times as America has evolved, creating awesome things like the emancipation of slaves and women's suffrage. However, if we are not long-term in our thinking of how to handle the coronavirus, we could be putting some of those rights in jeopardy. I'll start with the First Amendment, the one that has given us our basic freedoms. Assembly, petition, press, religion, and speech. This one is particularly awesome. It tells you that no government official can tell you how to organize yourself in groups. How neat. Except that the government is currently violating it right now. The government in several states is banning exercise of the First Amendment, most notably our freedom of assembly. For example, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, my home state governor, recently banned group activities of over 100 people, and it would soon get far less than that. San Francisco currently has bans of groups of over 1,000 people, and several other states are doing the same. Again, this would get much worse. Looking back on it, I was like, holy shit, how did I not get this right? This is a clear violation of our First Amendment, and it doesn't stop there. So where does it stop? Well, currently the law in Ohio passed, and again, this was back in March, does not involve places of transit, which include airports, bus stops, etc. Additionally, it does not include places of where people, quote, would be unusual to be within one arm's length of one another, quote, end quote, whatever in the fuck that means, such as grocery stores and office buildings. However, there is one big omission from this that is troubling places of worship. Nowhere, at least in Ohio legislation, does it say that people can go into a place of worship if the number exceeds 100 people. In times of trouble, people of all faiths would probably like to be with a community of people to lean on for strength. But, because of the virus, they will not be able to, at least for right now. That is a serious issue, and no one's talking about it. And what about our right to petition the government? Does this mean no political rallies, gatherings, town halls? If you aren't aware, this November is a pretty fucking big deal. And, you know, again, this is saying my March writing here. Not only are we going to elect a president, but also a House of Representatives elections are up for the taking as well. What if candidates can use the coronavirus as a shield, as a shield to avoid talking at political rallies or being asked questions by the government? Do they get a cop-out? In a lot of cases, that unfortunately was true. Following this, what about the freedom of the press? Continuing the political question. If politicians and those involved in them can willingly use the coronavirus as an excuse to dodge questions or not face whatever music they are faced with, is the press really free? I would argue not. This lack of information from our leaders and others who this would apply to would naturally be skewed due to a lack of information. Are we going to actually sit back and watch the press getting even more biased than it is? Well, according to the coronavirus hysteria in the history of the last year, we are. And now for freedom of speech. Here I see a problem on two fronts. 
The first one piggybacks off the last point about the freedom of the press. If we do not have the information that is current and correct from experts in the field, how are we supposed to communicate that information to people accurately? And the answer is we can't. There would be no way in hell we would be able to spread accurate information without the true knowledge being free for all to access. Which leads to my second point. The inaccuracy of a lot of information that is being spread like an STD in a brothel with a splash of COVID-19 thrown in. So that's disgusting. This is perhaps the biggest threat to our world continually to function normally. The incredibly... The incredible spread of disingenuous information that is being dumped on us via the mainstream and social media feeds like crazy. If we cannot get accurate information from anyone, what information can we really trust? Because according to the social media world, we're all experts. We all have access to the information, so who's to tell us that we aren't correct? The talking heads on television tell us so. But how can we trust them? Or ourselves? After all, we're, we're all experts, right? Or maybe we're all experts in the information that is not even correct in the first place. And so you see how this can snowball. And let me tell you, as someone who's actually read the damn thing, there is a lot of Constitution to fuck over. There is a lot of room for violation of our basic freedoms and rights. So, are we going to let seriously let something like this disrupt our way of living? How we get information? How the government can willy-nillingly choose to govern? How can we express ourselves? Because if we're being real, this isn't the first time something like this has happened. It will certainly not be the last. And this doesn't just apply to diseases either. Remember our buddy the Patriot Act signed into law somewhat hastily after 9-11? Yeah, there were a lot of fucking violations to our freedom and rights then, too. We cannot allow our fear of the present moment to invade our future moments. Because when it involves our freedom and rights, the building blocks of our society, we cannot allow the world to stop spinning. The second aspect I want to draw your attention to is commerce. For context, I'll start the fact with, with the fact that the market has been on an absolute tear before this had happened. Again, this is back in March. And I'm not just talking about the past four years, which so many people like to draw their attention to. I'm talking since, like, the economy crashed back in 2008. We've been in a bull market, which is, i.e., stocks going up consistently for all the non-finance douchebags out there, for 11 years, the longest recorded in the history of the stock market. We've been on a roll and have been recently riding a stream of all-time highs for over a year in a market indices of all kinds. However, it only took a week for all that to change. When the coronavirus impact was fully realized, people started panicking and bailing out of the stocks like they would water out of a sinking boat. Wall Street was a frenzy of chaotic fire sailing, and it got so bad that the Wall Street Journal reported that brokers and money managers were throwing up under their desks. The stock market fell 27% over that time, ending the 11-year bull market in a matter of days all by one chaotic event. Apple and Microsoft, two titans of Wall Street for years, dropped precipitously in value because they announced that their earnings would be lower this fiscal quarter, largely attributed due to their large presence in China, which is the epicenter of the virus outbreak. But more importantly, there's the people side of this capitalism. How many of you thought about people close to retiring in their 401ks? If the market dropped by that much and those people bailed out of it, how long would they have to extend their working years? Three years? Five? More? In fact, take away the stock market. Let's go to the individual jobs of small and middle market businesses. The governor of Ohio, been a busy guy lately, and has been ever since this happened, the asshole, passed on Sunday that he was ordering all bars and restaurants to close their doors. The reckless government optimist will say that business will be fine and this, all this temporary shortage of money taken in from the business can be sustained. And I totally think the opposite, and I think this is safely proven to be true. I know many more small businesses that operate as restaurants and large conglomerates that operate as restaurants. 
Additionally, the government has yet to give a timeline on how these business bans can last, and we, I don't think we still fucking know about this. Two weeks? More? I doubt many of these companies can survive more than two weeks without a constant stream of income, especially in the culinary industry. And if you guys don't know how bad this is, I think a restaurant is lucky to a average a 2% prof profit margin. So basically, they have 2% of all the money they take in before they start going under, which is outrageously low, and that's good for a lot of restaurants. When we kill the motion in the economy, we kill something called the velocity of money. The velocity of money referred to in economics is the rate at which money is exchanged in an economy. When money is not changing hands and going in and out of different people and institutions, it loses its ability to stimulate the economy, its quote-unquote velocity. A high velocity of money correlates to economic expansion, and a low velocity of money correlates to economic contraction. Expansion is good, contraction is bad. We always want to be growing our economy in constructive ways and avoiding ways to shrink it. The motion of the economy helps this. When we freeze the economy due to the types of regu regulations and laws, we stop that motion. Now let's say this passes and we make it out okay, which we will. What about the next time something like this happens? Are we going to totally freeze the economy, stop production of everything, send everyone home? We might be able to do it once. However, let's say another disease breaks out in a year or we suffer a massive terrorist attack or we get into a war or some other catastrophe happens. But all four of those are very likely scenarios, or not very likely, but very possible scenarios, by the way. Because these things do indeed happen. They are inevitable. They're simply a products of the world we live in. We cannot survive as a country if we simply freeze every time crisis hits. Think about a more personal example in the same situation. When crises, when crisis or tragedy strikes you and you freeze, things are most likely to get worse. Much worse in some situations. However, if you pause, assess the situation, and work towards a solution, things tend to get better. Nothing really tends to get better if you sit on your ass and do nothing. Apply this on a larger scale, and things amplify. Instead of one life or one family becoming ruined, several lives and several families become ruined. The ripple effect will grow larger. More people will become effectively frozen, stagnated by their fear of the unknown. If we continue to have these economic stagnations every time we face a hiccup in the world, our country will never be able to lead the world in anything. We will constantly be paralyzed by fear, and therefore toppled by nations who aren't afraid, and who choose to take on the fear of the world and dominate the United States in economic power. Business is a brutal game, and you should be afraid of being you cannot be afraid of being afraid. And for good measure, there are a lot of countries who want to see exactly this happen to us. They just don't tell you that. They would love for the United States economy to become irrelevant. And we will if we're not careful. We cannot let this become a norm of being afraid of fear. Like FDR once said, all we have to fear is fear itself. When the United States was dragged into World War II, many people went into factories and created the greatest economic machine the world has ever seen. When Rocky was knocked out by Clubber Lang, he ran sprints in the beach with Apollo Creed, who was about as peak of a human performer as there ever was, who will forever be my personal man crush as Carl Weathers Rocky III, look him up. When Scarface was threatened by a Colombian drug dealer, he did a shit ton of coke, blew his own property up, and killed a fuck ton of Colombian drug soldiers, all while taking about 50 bullets in the process. We're Americans, goddammit. We don't stand still. We hit back. That is what we must do with this virus, especially in our economy. Because when it involves our economy, we cannot allow the world to stop spinning. The third front of this dilemma is the one group going on with is the one going on within ourselves. Due to our dependence on sources of information and the resulting disinformation that we receive from these sources, Americans have an odd sense of automatically placing resulting in panic on a massive scale. 
And this cannot happen in a functional society. There would be constant anarchy and turnover on wide fronts. And we've already seen this occur in the retail space. Earlier this week, my mom instructed my siblings and I to go to the store and get some things, including chicken if it was on sale, like all moms say. And I never get it while it's on sale. My mom yells at me every week. But, so naturally, I went to the chicken aisle to see if it met my mother's standards of being on sale. The only problem was, there was no chicken to even meet the standard. Like at all. Or any meat for that matter. It had been completely cleared out, probably by psycho soccer moms who watch too much The Walking Dead and have a weird sexual fetish about cooking things and freezing them. Toilet paper is getting ripped from the shelves. Soap is being bought by the pallet. Some dude bought 17,000 fucking bottles of hand sanitizer. This is not a good thing. This is what countries like Venezuela do. They put more stock in the goods themselves than the value of the goods, and therefore drive the value of the goods themselves down, which then creates a domino effect we really don't want to happen. So why are people doing this? Because people are afraid of change. Because change is something that we all are inherently afraid of to a degree, whether we like it or not. Change is what drives us into the new, but it also forces us to let, us to let go of the old. The shame is that people see the new as bad, and therefore force it into their short-term range of thought due to the fear that comes with it. Instead, we need to take the long view of change, instead of overreacting to things that aren't really that big of a deal. The beer virus is not that big of a deal. Again, debate this if you will. It is a temporary hiccup in an otherwise thriving state of the world we are in. We cannot let one hiccup degrade the majesty of this fan-fucking-tastic five-course dinner we've been feasting on for, some, for a very long time. It gets better with every course, so don't be an asshole and ruin it. Because when we look at the statistics, the and again, this is about to be, I think, horribly wrong. Because when we look at the statistics, the coronavirus isn't as bad as the common flu in many of them. Although, well, actually, that might not be true. Or that might still be true, but I don't know. We have survived the common flu for a long time, yet it still happens to wreak havoc on a lot of people. The coronavirus will be solved. There will a vaccine in time. Again, anti-vaxxers can get the fuck out of here. We can get everyone treated that needs to be treated when the time comes. And yet people are still frozen by fear. The world has stopped spinning. They cannot see past their fear and into the optimism of the future. Now, this is not calling for mindless positivity, then there will be growing pains. People will get sick and die, especially in the demographics of the elderly and physically compromised. And I actually read a report the other day that, um, that black folks, or people with darker skin, are more likely to uh, die of the coronavirus because of, their, uh, because of the vitamin D that is involved in this, which I thought was incredibly both interesting and very sad. So again, you know, shout out to all those people as well. There will continue to be fluctuations in the economy. You might not be able to buy Charmin for a while. Shit happens. Fuck you if you mock my pun. But in all seriousness, if we cultivate a fear into ourselves every time something like this happens, we will permeate a long-term effect of learned helplessness every time this type of thing goes on in society. We will enable future generations to use that setting as the, de as the default and to not go actively out and pursue solutions. Wherever there's, whenever there's chaos, there is opportunity. We just need to realize before we succumb to the other side of the spectrum. That is what we must do with this virus especially with ourselves. Because when it comes to ourselves, we cannot allow the world to stop spinning. The show must go on, like Jordan Belfort says. The old adage can do us a lot of good, especially in times like these. We must keep moving, and we must keep progressing. Even in times of hardship, whether they be perceived correctly or incorrectly, the world must keep spinning. If not, if we allow ourselves to come to succumb to stagnation, there will be consequences beyond the short-term scope of our fears. We must not allow this to happen. 
If we do, we put our long-term future at risk, which can ha have far greater consequences than the short-term will allow us to realize. The butterfly effect is a famous case study done in which one small action can have a large ripple effect in, the large, in a large complex system. And the world is a fucking pretty big complex system. While this system is generally used, especially in literature, in a backward-looking sense, could it be applied to a forward-looking sense as well? I would say yes. One small thing today could mean, mean a lot of bigger things tomorrow. And those things might not be all sunshine and rainbows. Those things can be pretty damn frightening. If we let them be. So, in your spare time, crack open a corona, tell the virus to go fuck itself, and social distance yourself. It could be a time of self-reflection. Read, draw, maybe start a blog. Although, don't do the one that talks about the same shit I do, because that's not cool. So... Okay, so that was actually very, very interesting. You know, look ba looking back at some of the stuff, I thought I was right on some stuff. I thought I was wrong on a lot of stuff. So um, it, it's been a year of this incredible transition that we've all been in, and it's been a year that I don't think anyone... Like, we are witness living and witnessing history now, guys. I mean, that's a pretty, really, really crazy thing that's going on right now. So um, hopefully there's a couple vaccines in circulation now, um, you know, things are opening up, mass mandates are being dropped, people are getting healthier, so hopefully we can keep riding this thing out and make sure that everyone gets out of this thing okay. So, again, can you dig it? I certainly can. Own the day, open your mind, and I'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?